Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham, and I'm a motivational speaker helping people to live positively with the challenges of life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 45 years now. And in that time, I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, which makes me sound like a spider, and I've been hospitalized about 40 times. I also stand about five foot one, hence the funny nickname Too Tall, and that's due to the heavy daily doses of the steroid prednisone that I took to fight my arthritis. Despite those physical challenges, I always answer amazing when asked how I'm doing, and I tell people that 80% of the time it's true, the other 20% of the time it's to remind myself that it's true. Uh, you can find out more about me in this interview at my website at Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. I have some amazing guests today that I had a really great time with this past Sunday. Matan Volach and Jeff Robertson from the PKD Foundation. So the PKD Foundation of Canada is the only national not-for-profit organization dedicated to promoting research to find a cure for polycystic kidney disease, hence the initials PKD, and improving the care and treatment of those that it affects. The mission of the PKD Foundation of Canada is to promote programs of research, advocacy, education, support, and awareness in order to discover treatments and a cure for polycystic kidney disease and improve the life of everyone it affects. Before taking on the role of Executive Director in June of 2008, Jeff Robertson was actively involved with the PKD Foundation of Canada as both volunteer chapter and walk coordinator for Toronto. And he continues to be the volunteer Toronto walk coordinator and remains actively involved in the Toronto chapter on a daily basis. Having been raised in a family afflicted with PKD, both his grandmother and mother have this disease, he learned at a very young age the importance of self-advocacy, volunteerism, and community involvement, three traits he still embodies to this day which help him guide him in his work with the foundation. And also, today, Matan is with us. I had a great time with him on Sunday. Prior to his role as Toronto Chapter Coordinator, he spent almost a decade in the food, health, and wellness industries as a salesperson, private chef, and volunteer with various nonprofit organizations. His mother and grandmother both passed away from cancer, and at a young age, he started volunteering to help other people. He found out at the age of 20 that he has polycystic kidney disease and at 30 now oversees the Toronto chapter of the PKD Foundation. Matan has decided to spend the rest of his life helping others to achieve the best health they are capable of. He will be returning to school in 2015 to become a registered dietitian while continuing in his role with the PKD Foundation of Canada. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Tom. Uh, we had a lot of fun, Matan, on uh, Sunday, didn't we? We had tons of fun. Never seen a crowd <laughs> so engaged. <laughs> and I learned so much as well. And we had a lot of fun talking about the benefit of me having a visible disability versus people that have a kidney disease because you walk around with uh, some major challenges, but you look just like everybody else, and so nobody can tell. And I had some funny illustrations that had you all guys laughing, 
pretending uh, that I had, uh, you know, trying to make my kidney disease visible by clutching my kidney. (laughs) So let's start off because uh, I was fascinated to learn this. Didn't know before I heard of you guys. What is polycystic kidney disease? And then I read somewhere it affects more people than like three common ones I know combined. So tell us a bit about it because it is big, but not a lot of people would recognize the name. Certainly, and to touch on your point, a big part of that challenge, Tom, is of course the lack of uh, physical visibility with this disease. Uh, So as you may have heard at the Toronto chapter meeting, uh, polycystic kidney disease is actually a group of genetic diseases that cause fluid-filled cysts about the size of golf balls to grow and manifest on the affected organ. Uh, Predominantly, this is the kidney. Uh, However, the cysts can grow, of course, on the liver, uh, as well as the pancreas, the spleen as well. And over time, what those cysts do as they manifest and mutate and grow uh, is they cause the affected organ to shut down. Uh, approximately 60% of those with uh, autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, uh, which affects uh, approximately 1 in 500 people globally, uh, will rely on either dialysis or transplantation to prolong the quality of life. So as there is no uh, treatment or cure available, uh, this is uh, something that will help prolong the quality, but it is not uh, considered a treatment uh, for those that are affected by PKD. Not at all, and uh, I was uh, surprised, or not surprised, but it's interesting that the people there on Sunday, you guys talked about uh, kidney transplants like other people talk about, like their new cell phones. Uh, this is a fact of life for a lot of you people, and uh, boy, uh, any organ transplant is major challenge to go through, not only the surgery, but a lot of stuff after the surgery. And then, of course, dialysis. I was telling everyone Sunday, I'd rather have a hip replaced than a blood test. I'm one of my phobias in life, and so dialysis would just about kill me. And so those are two pretty tough treatments, uh, right, guys? Uh, that's not really, as you said, that's not really a, that's not a cure. It's helping people Absolutely. prolong I mean, their, it helps prolong their life and their quality of life, but it's not a way to live. That's exactly it, and I mean, the as, as is commonly known now in the uh, media world, transplantation is uh, a very discouraging statistic here in Canada. Uh, registered donors is something that uh, Canada greatly needs to improve on. Uh, so, of course, knowing the reliance of uh, transplantation, organ donation, for those suffering from PKD, that's just kind of... Uh, added salt to the wound that they then have to struggle to find that living donor to prolong the quality of life. So it's it's essentially a twofold problem. Exactly. And then afterwards, I learned about anti-rejection drugs, and it sounds like you got to take them by the pailful almost for some time. It, after. it certainly it certainly is a, a mouthful, so to speak, and it is a it's a lifestyle change uh, post transplant, as as anyone can attest to. That's uh, undergone the life-saving surgery. It's uh, my mother, for example. You know, she has had uh, two liver transplants from polycystic kidney disease. Her native liver, when extracted, weighed close to 40 pounds. So, for the last close to 20 years, uh, she has been dependent on anti-rejection drugs to prolong the quality of those transplanted livers. Um, but the problem that comes into play 
um, similar to, to many drugs that are on the market, is the, the benefit that these anti-rejection drugs do to keep her liver uh, sustainable are causing a negative impact on her kidneys. So it's, it's a classic case of a medication helping one issue, um, but actually causing um, another problem in its own right, and that is the uh, decrease in kidney function which will be a concern down the road for MUB as well when uh, a kidney transplant is required. I know exactly about uh, one medication helping one thing but causing like 92 other things with prednisone, stunted microbes, cataracts at 12, all kinds of side effects with prednisone, most of them unpleasant. Uh, But when you can go from not being able to move to being able to get up and go to school, uh, with probably about the same pail full of pills as the anti-rejection drugs, uh, you're like, okay, this is somewhat of a good trade-off for today. And right. So it's it's, it's a, a lesser necessary... of two evils. Exactly, lesser of two evils. <laughs> exactly, but not a great choice in the end. But then as well, look at your mom. Like, uh, that's amazing. She's on her second, but uh, did I hear maybe having to go for another one soon? Uh, she's had two liver transplants. Uh, one lasted close to 10 years, uh, and we were actually amidst the planning stages of celebrating a 10-year uh, kidney anniversary milestone. Uh, and what happened was she suffered a bile duct infection, and the bile duct connects the donor organ or the donor bar- body, pardon me, to the uh, the organ, and it just was persistent, persistent and ended up causing that liver to fail, uh, which in turn she had a second one, uh, which was just celebrated uh, six years. Uh, So in the next five to eight, they're envisioning that she will require a kidney transplant. So the liver is is holding strong now, uh, as is her kidney function, but they envision um, just with time and, and having monitored her kidney function over the last number of years that there's, there's a good chance that in the next five to eight, uh, renal function will drop to the point where uh, a kidney will be required. And hopefully, uh, knowing that neither my sister or I uh, inherited the genes, uh, we'll be able to be tested as living kidney donors when the time comes. So, uh, uh, guys, I know every joint in the body. I can kind of tell you where they all are because they have hurt at various times, but I don't know much about kidneys. This is going to sound silly. How many do we have? We have two kidneys. Uh, They're approximately the size of a human fist. Uh, And to put things into perspective, polycystic kidneys uh, can grow to be the size of a football each uh, and weigh up to 38 or so pounds. So there is potential for uh, a great deal of um, kind of spanning out that abdomen uh, because of the growth of the cysts on those kidneys. Wow. One of my heroes and mentors, Tim Chim in New York, his son had kidney, had to have it. his mom, his mom gave him a kidney, and he's in his early 20s, and so I'm going to have to find out the cause of that, if it was PKD or what caused that kidney uh, to fail, but wow, what a, what a life-changing event when your mom donates a kidney to her son. You have two people in surgery, and you're worried sick about both of them. Wow. Uh, it is. I mean, and, and it's a hardship, you know, that, that many families obviously have to face. Um, living donation through uh, one's family is the best means of 
um, matching, uh, as well as the longevity of the transplanted organ. So um, while it's, it may to the outside world seem like a difficult decision for a family uh, to have two members uh, in the operation, you'll often hear uh, from the donor family member uh, that it's a no-brainer and that this is something that obviously uh, they would do over and over again to help one of their own. Amen, amen. This is good. Absolutely. And so now you're hogging all the time here, so I'm going to ask Matan here a question. <laughs> of course. Because I really like Matan. He's a good guy. Uh, Matan, I had one time a kidney stone, and, of course, any man who's had one of those come out uh, or has read anything about it, it's described as the closest thing to childbirth that a man might experience pain-wise. Um, I didn't find it like that. It was painful, but I've had worse, so it didn't kill me. Uh, are you more prone to kidney stones when you have PKD? Great question, Tom. Uh, kidney stones, you are more prone to them with PKD, and I'll explain why. Um, normally, when we drink a lot of water, our kidney um, filters blood that is diluted, per se, and when the blood is not properly diluted, um, and we're not drinking enough water, the calcium has more propensity, I guess, to build uh, stones in the kidney. And uh, with PKD, there's involvement of hormones like vasopressin, which have to do with uh, the retention of water in the body. And so when the retention doesn't work properly, um, you're, more likely, uh, you're more likely to be out of balance and you're more likely for that calcium to start building up. You know, it's... It's, it's said that if you have PKD, you are advised to drink a lot of water. And to explain that in kind of um, layman terms, it's you got to trick your body to think that it's um, to think that it has enough water so that it doesn't go into retention, kind of thing. And when you do drink tons of water, you can actually lower your risk of kidney stones. Um, it's recommended that patients with PKD drink anywhere from three to five liters of water. Uh, in scientific studies, we've seen that uh, by drinking a lot of water, we do reduce the activity of um, vasopressin and we can initially or essentially slow down the progression of the disease. Um, there are a lot of factors that come into play with, with PKD, such as uh, drinking lots of water. We know now that caffeine plays a role in the disease and that we should limit our caffeine of course, anytime you're dealing with the kidneys, you want to limit your red meat intake, uh, your salt intake. So there's a lot of things that come into play, but definitely... You're taking definitely a lot of fun out of life here, Matan. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about moderation, right? Like many things in life, it's all about moderation. Exactly. Oh, choices. Come on. It's tough, but it's... Uh, what's the choice? Live longer or die? Um, I, ah, I can make that choice fairly easy. Um, and so, yeah, Matan is trying to educate people, and I know he drinks a lot of water. And so um, when you put it in front of people, here's what you need to do. In the end, everybody makes their own choice, but those are things that can really help you guys a lot. And uh, one, Oh, another thing, for Matan, blood thinners. I heard people talking about blood thinners, one of my nemesis is, and, of course, if you have surgery, joint replacement surgery is on Coumadin for all of those, and kind of annoying you you know cut yourself and you bleed like a fire hydrant um but i imagine 
do people with PKD, because of the kidney problem, do they also, mostly, a lot of them, take uh, some kind of blood thinner? You know, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll refer to Jeff for that one, because I'm not actually 100% up on the statistics. Okay, I heard. I, I think I heard Jeff's mom say something about blood thinners, but that may have been because of. Uh, uh, That's more tied into the the transplantation aspect of it, um, yeah. and would and would rely. I mean, that's a very case by case basis, so it's not necessarily uh, an avenue of of therapy that uh, the average PKD patient would go through. No. Okay. So cool. Here's a good question because I think back, I'm diagnosed with arthritis at five. What do my parents know about arthritis? And so I think of how valuable the Arthritis Society was. Our entire family will remember the name Barb Stokes, the first free physiotherapist, show up at the door at our house, explain it, answer our questions, build a relationship. That is a life-changing uh, relationship to have with an organization. So how does the PKD Foundation of Canada support the community of not only people living with the disease, but as we know, the families that are affected by it as well? Certainly. So as, as you touched on, Tom, and, and having remembered the, the uh, original individuals that helped connect you and, and gave you the support and information, uh, our family had the very same situation uh, in the early stages of my mother's diagnosis, and that was a woman by the name of Dr. Janet Roscoe. And uh, in the early 80s, uh, there was very little information known about polycystic kidney disease. This was both from uh, the general population and the medical community. Uh, there were no support organizations. Uh, very few people had any contact to anyone else in the uh, PKD community. So it wasn't until uh, Dr. Janet Roscoe connected my mother uh, and my father uh, to two other couples that were in the southern Ontario area. And that was really the, the initial stages of um, developing the PKD Foundation of Canada. Uh, at the time, they were the PKD Research Society of Canada. It was a Toronto chapter, uh, Ontario-based not-for-profit organization. And it acted as uh, somewhat of a sister chapter to the largely established PKD Foundation in the United States. Uh, over time, as, as the membership grew here in Ontario, and of course the uh, need um, for advanced research, advanced education to patients who were newly diagnosed, um, funding of critical Canadian research, um, kind of took the forefront in the minds of those um, establishing the foundation, they realized that this was a great opportunity for them to help other families connect with patients, uh, to educate themselves on this disease um, in an effort to, to keep them from feeling as lonely as, you know, people who are diagnosed with something and have no support system uh, experience life. Uh, the PKD yeah. Foundation of Canada now is a national not-for-profit charity. We have a chapters as far west as Vancouver and as far east as Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. And what these local chapters and our national efforts uh, provide is the patients have a voice uh, to raise their concerns for the PKD community. Uh, it's a great opportunity, Tom, as you, as you witnessed firsthand at the Toronto chapter meeting on Sunday, the peer-to-peer -peer support uh, is invaluable in our local chapters. And it gives mm -hmm. those in attendance the opportunity to hear from other people 
who have gone through or will be going through similar, if not the same, circumstances that they've had. So for it us, is. It is. it's an opportunity and that was so, you know, for them. That was so pre- prevalent and obvious. When you know other people with the same disease, it is so helpful because sometimes the brain, I know in my case with chronic pain 24-7, 45 years, that brain can go nuts and can make you think that you're unique or that your challenges are worse or all kinds of nutty things. And when you get around other people with the same disease and you're like, wow, you think that too? Or, wow, you've gone through that too? I'm not nuts. I'm not crazy. I'm not unique. Wow, how did you? Looks like you survived it. And then once you get around people like that, although sometimes I feel like a loser getting around people, <laughs> other people like who have my disease and getting so excited about being around them. <laughs> but still, when you're around people who are suffering like you do and have the thoughts that you've had and you find that, yeah, okay, you're not crazy and it's not driving you nuts. Uh, other people have conceived of these same thoughts, experienced the same things, and look at them, look at them, here they are. And that's so valuable, that's right. isn't it? It makes the day-to-day hardships of living with any chronic disease um, more manageable when you know that there is a local support system. Uh, You've seen people, you know, tried, tested, and true, having gone through what you've done, come out stronger on the other side, um, and it helps fill in the gaps and questions that, that newly diagnosed people may have as well. Exactly. I always like to think, you know, and I'm a good example when I teach arthritis society courses because I have it so bad that other people will be like, I only have it in my hands. I'm like, well, it's still painful every second of the day, most of them. I said, so it doesn't matter how many places you have, but if you can serve as a source of encouragement for other people where they can be, well, at least I'm not Tom, or someone would be, oh, at least I'm not Matan. I don't have it as bad as him or as bad as this person, or, or like if he can deal with it, I can deal with it. And so these kind of things come into play when you're around people. Um, with a similar disease, various stages, and that is more helpful than doctors, physiotherapists, medications, or anything else a lot of the time. And uh, That's I've, right, I've, and, and I can attest the, the importance of self-advocacy from a patient standpoint uh, yeah. is invaluable in, in keeping positive. And, and as I've said, you know, Matan is, is a living testament to that in his uh, day-to-day involvement in operating the Toronto chapter and kind of spearheading the the initiatives on a local level and just kind of rallying the troops, so to speak. Yeah, and it's a tough job in this day and age. So let's get to Matan because I really like Matan. (laughs) So how does uh, Matan, I talked about a little bit on Sunday how arthritis impacts my day-to-day life. Uh, I use a device to put socks on, or mostly I use my wife, but if she's not around, I have to use a device to put socks on. i got to put my pants on the ground and pull them up with a stick by the belt loop because I can't bend down to pull pants up. have to uh, slip into shoes. If I drop something, I have three different ways of picking it up, generally one involving asking someone to do it. And so uh, I was joking that someone could live day-to-day with PKD and how could you tell? Like, I have a pronounced limp, and I'm short, so nobody's going to look at me and think, that guy looks like he doesn't have anything wrong with him. But you guys can walk around day to day, and nobody's like, wow, look at that guy with PKD. 
So how does it impact your day-to-day life? And, and as I talked about, too, on Sunday, when you have a chronic disease, you get a lot of input from doctors and therapists and pharmacists and parents and advocacy groups. And in the end, you have to think and take charge and make your own decisions. And that is so important. And sometimes you have to go against decisions of doctors, families, other things, because it just doesn't fit what you believe or your lifestyle. So how does it impact your day-to-day life? And why is it so important to be an advocate for yourself and for your disease? Oh, man, Tom, I think you are you are the, the pinnacle of success when it comes to being a self-advocate and doing everything that's possible for yourself, uh, staying positive, you know, is number one, very, very, very high on anybody's list and tops, tops my list and your list, I'm sure. How do you do that, though? Um, wow, so many different ways. I mean, let me let me share with you my experiences first. Um, as a PKD patient, I mean, I was diagnosed 10 years ago, and um, as Jeff was saying, the cysts on your kidneys up to the size of a golf ball, mine uh, was actually seven centimeters in diameter, uh, the largest cyst on one of my kidneys on the left one when I got diagnosed. And that's, if you picture seven centimeters, that's a big golf ball. That's maybe an orange or so, you know, size of a small orange. Um, and that's one of hundreds of cysts on, on both kidneys. And so, you know, the reason I found out or the way I found out that I had PKD was actually I had pain in my back, couldn't sleep for weeks. And I thought, oh, you know, it's just a muscle, a muscular thing. It's cramping or some kind of um, maybe something in the spine is out of alignment. You know, if it doesn't go away, I'll go to the chiropractor. I'll do some physio, something like that. I went to the doctor a couple times and the doctor said the same thing. You know, here's some pain medication or um anti-inflammatory medication, and um, you come back if it doesn't get better. I didn't actually take the medication um, because, (laughs) like you, I'm kind of one for, you know, let my body take care of it naturally and learn to deal with the pain, um, and that way I'll be stronger, you know, in the long term without the medication. Because like you said, you know, you take the medication, and um, after a while, either, it, you know, the effect goes down, it doesn't do a lot for you, or you end up reliant on the medication. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, or, you generate a, or you generate a side effect from the medication that's worse than the original challenge. Oh, absolutely. You know, Jeff talked about that with his mother, Jen, and you, you can attest to that as well, and we all know that. It's amazing. Um you know, the good and the bad that comes out of um, out of the medical solutions that we have for, for many different um, illnesses. I mean, and, you know, pain is not the only one. When it comes to PKD, uh, there's a lot of embarrassment that I've had to deal with at work and at school. Um, specifically, there's very constant urination. You'll be going to the bathroom, you know, every hour on the hour. And um, especially if you're drinking lots of water and following this, these instructions to keep your blood diluted, which, again, prevents kidney stones, and it helps to prevent um, the progression of uh, PKD in a way. Um, you know, you're, doing, you're drinking all this water, and that makes you want to go even more often. And so you're going at least once an hour, and everybody's looking at you going, why is this guy always in the bathroom? Is he talking to his girlfriend on the phone? What is he doing? <laughs> you know, why doesn't he just do some work? And then your managers are giving you a hard time, and you're... Everyone's trying to use that against you because your employees are competing with you to look better themselves. So, 
it's tough. And you're like, why do why do I have to deal with this? So then you stop drinking water because you don't want to go, and then. Wow, I hadn't even realized that. But I have the same thing, of course, with I'm so short and, you know, people will be noticing, pointing, talking, teasing, bugging. Um, But, uh, of course, if I had you in my class, I'd be like, what the heck's wrong with that guy? Like, jeez, he has to leave every hour. Is he a smoker? Where is he going? Follow that guy. But uh, embarrassment is a lot of a lot of chronic disease and lots of diseases one of the things especially when you're younger is that embarrassment factor and people like be wow you're worried about that when you have this kind of significant disease well come on you got to live with the embarrassment and that it does impact schooling life bosses principals teachers uh friends students coworkers and so, yeah, cool one. I hadn't even thought about that. And, yeah, if you drink a lot of water, you're going to be peeing a lot, but you're not doing it just for fun. You're doing it to prolong your life. That's right. Absolutely. Um, another thing that PKD patients will go through is, um, excuse me, feeling tired a lot, and that's because of um, a slight anemia that a lot of us will experience. There's um, a hormone called erythropoietin, which is... Uh, which there is a lack of in, in people with the disease. And um, it makes it tough for us. A lot of us are anemic and tired all the time. Excuse me for one second, gentlemen. I just have something in my throat. I'll clear it and I'll be uh, right back. Maybe I can well, go back to you to me, talk uh, a little bit about it. Go ahead. I'll follow up on the tiredness. And we talked when I spoke on Sunday about the fatigue that goes with managing chronic pain and having pain 24-7 and and having rheumatoid arthritis, uh, fatigue comes with it. Anemia, fatigue from fighting pain, and that's an invisible illness as well. Uh, my Even my wife, my family, my friends don't even always understand that. They understand I'm in pain and they can see I have mobility problems, but they do not always understand how tired I am at almost every given moment. And it's a battle to really keep up with life. And so people can't see that, but it is a nasty thing to have as part of a chronic disease, to have that anemia and fatigue that people can't see and don't even understand, right? And, and, you know, similar to your mom, and, and I know firsthand, you know, with my mother and a lot of the PKD community, is then they, you know, they don't want to be bogged down by this disease. They don't want their day-to-day life to be slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's a constant battle of just staying ahead of the exhaustion and, you know, putting on uh, the strong front and, and powering through, um, yep. which, you know, is admirable and, and certainly makes a difference in, in the positive mindset. But it doesn't take away, you know, at the end of the day when the door shuts behind you, mm-hmm. that, that constant uh, weight of, of exhaustion. And, you know, uh, with anything, when you overdo it, it tends to, to bite one in the butt down the road because the body needs to, to play catch-up. Exactly, exactly. And and uh, one thing I see and that you lived with, uh, when I lead Arthritis Society courses, a lot of mothers and wives is what the thing that hurts them the most is that their husband and their children cannot understand why is mom not cleaning the house as much as she used to. Why is mom tired? Why is mom not able to do this or that? 
is they can't see the fatigue. And in arthritis, you're not always in a flare-up attack where it can be visible. And so that's the thing that kind of hurts a lot of moms and wives a lot, uh, internally hurts their feelings, is that, you know, these kids don't really understand this second-by-second fatigue and how hard it is to keep up with being a mother or a wife and all the things that mother or wife have to do with, which is a ton of work, as you know. And so you grew up seeing this and understanding this. And, and Absolutely. And, I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people don't shine a bright enough spotlight on is the, the emotional burden of, of living with a disease and, and you know, not necessarily um, fulfilling, you know, the the norm routine of, of a mother or, you know, a, a family member or a caregiver. But the fact of the matter is, and, and I know every PKD family uh, understands it, is that curveballs are going to be thrown at you and, and things are going to be a, di- a bit different. And it's, it's important to just communicate with, with your loved ones, be it your children, be it your spouse, be it your parents, to let them know that, you know, this isn't just a physical disease and, and certainly not to discredit the physical elements of it um, because it can be quite debilitating with any chronic disease. Um, but if you're not taking care of the emotional aspect of it, uh, the mental side of it as well, I mean, that everything plays a part the other, you know, and, and Matan has a very strong handle on on the, the impact that the that the mind and the spirit can have on the physical body as well, as I know as I know you're well versed in the two mm. definitely, definitely for sure um, and so let's talk about organ uh, and tissue donation. Um, I think it's Jim Rohn, one of my great speakers that I love listening to, um, talks about things that are sim- easy to do that are also easy not to do. It is very easy to be an organ donor, I believe, driver's license, other ways, very easy to do. But it's very easy in this busy society not to do it. But uh, what a way to, and I'm big on, and I'm featured in a book about creating a legacy for your life, living beyond yourself, beyond your life. And boy, if an organ helps save a life, that is a major legacy for someone that anyone Absolutely. can do. And yet also, Absolutely. before you answer, Jeff, also, at the same time, there's excuses because people have excuses and mine so far, I've got to check and see if I've registered, so far my excuse has been, well, with all the pills and medications and challenges I've had and, and all these things uh, that for sure none of my organs are good enough to uh, give uh, as a donation, but I have a great heart. I don't imagine that's been affected too much by prednisone. And why not sign up and let them decide whether it's worthwhile or not rather than me making the decision and not even signing up? 100%. And you, and you hit the nail on the head right there. And, and the fact of the matter is um, some people through different times in their life will go on different medications. They will have different um, operations and surgeries. But the bottom line is if you register your consent to be an organ and tissue donor, let the doctors make the final decision on what can be used and what cannot be used. And that is your best bet um, to ensure that anything that is salvageable and that can improve the quality of someone else's life post-mortem will be met. 
so that's that's the biggest misconception is that people think for whatever reason if they've got you know good lungs but a bad kidney or good eyes but a bad heart or you know any combination of the such that their entire body is off um you know the eligibility of uh, donating and that and that's not true um so if, if there's any concerns or questions ask your doctors uh, they will be more than happy to explain if you fit the criteria for being a donor, if you don't, uh, what can be used and what cannot be used. And a lot of that information uh, can be found on, on various sites under the FAQs, you know. So here in Ontario, the Trillium Gift of Life Network and the BeADonor.ca uh, campaign is, is world-leading in uh, raising awareness for organ donation. But if you visit uh, the Canadian Transplant Society, they have an amazing list um, from a provincial standpoint, all of the networks that are available uh, provincially to help someone um, get connected and to learn, you know, the statistics and the, and the regulations of sort. But uh, Now, you mentioned but, ask your doctor. Can you sign up at your doctor's too? If you went to a family doctor, could you say, uh, hand me that form for signing me up? Most doctors will have the long, uh, the long form, which then can be mailed into the provincial network um, that does the collection of uh, organ and tissue donation requests. Um, the fastest way, you know, when speaking to, to the concern that you know people just are on board but they just don't follow through, um, online is the best avenue because you can have it done uh, in most instances in a matter of minutes. If you have your driver's license handy, here in Ontario, you can go to beadonor.ca, and within two minutes, you can either check your status to see if you're a registered donor, or you can register your consent. And that's two minutes of your time. And what that does is each organ donor can save up to eight lives and enhance the lives of 75 more people, all in a matter of two minutes. Now you're making me feel bad. Okay, going to get the driver's license. Not right now, but very soon. Beadonor.ca. I got that business card on Sunday at the meeting. And so driver's license and two minutes. Because here I'm thinking they're going to ask, how many, have you taken this pill, that pill? How many times have you been in hospital? How have you taken this? Have you had that? Have you, you know, and I'm thinking it's going to be 72 minutes later, like, uh, like I'm in a teaching hospital or something. So two minutes, really? Two minutes of your time for Ontario residents at uh, beadonor.ca. Yes, sir. I've timed it. I think I got. I think I got under the under the two minute mark. But uh, depending on if you're a, a chicken pecker on the keyboard, it might take you a little bit longer. Okay. So people, listen. You are being selfish and ungrateful if you live in Canada which is a global blessing, if you do not take two minutes to let your life live on in someone else and save a life. You're being selfish. You know about it now. You live in an amazing country. Take two minutes. Come on. Save a life. Uh, Be a donor.ca. Get the driver's license ready. Don't let the day go by without doing it. Come on. It's so easy. And that's that's a big push. I mean, you know, to your point uh, that you made at the beginning of this topic, Tom, is that, you know, a lot of people seem on board for this, um, but either don't know if they're registered or haven't taken the time to do so. And uh, a, a somewhat grave statistic, again, from Canadian Transplant Society is that ni- 90% of Canadians 
are on board and support organ and tissue donation here in Canada. 90% of Canadians support the idea, yet less than 25% of the nation's population are actually registered. Wow. So that is a huge gap, and and it's an absolute contributor as to why right now there's there's close to 2,500 Canadian residents waiting for a kidney, you know, and that that one individual is unfortunately dying on that list almost every three days. And this is an ongoing problem that we have because the numbers of those needing organ transplants in Canada are growing exponentially, yet it is a slow, slow creep to improve the registration rates here in Canada. That is sad. That is sad. It's easy to do, very easy to do. And the impact on someone could be dramatic, someone and their family. They could be a father, they could be a mother. Um, With all the different attachments that fathers and mothers have in their lives, and we're too selfish not to take, or too busy watching the rerun of a rerun of a rerun of a show to take two minutes and let your life live on and save a life. Yep, the organ failure. I'm talking myself into it here. You can bet I'm going to be doing it like within the next hour. I'm going to be registered. This is silly. Awesome. Awesome. And I mean, that, that's, that's the take home. I mean, is that, that the need for organ donation is discriminatory. Um, and this is something that can affect everyone in the world at some point in their life, heaven forbid, you know. So this is something that a lot of people don't think about, don't talk about with their friends and families if they haven't been impacted prior to the conversations. Right. Obviously, I was raised knowing the importance of organ donation. Tan um, understands, you know, being part of the PKD community, the need uh, for cross-promotion and raising awareness. But... To some people, it's a foreign conversation to have. Um, and, you know, if, if they don't have the statistics and they don't have the facts and, and you, you focus on the misconceptions that sometimes dominate the mainstream media, um, it, can, it can seem like a discouraging decision to make. But really, it's one of the most proactive, selfless acts um, anyone can ever, ever make in their life. Amen. 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 That would be... An incredibly gratifying feeling to know that your mother or father or son or daughter is living on and saves someone else's life. That would really help with a lot of grief and challenge with losing a loved one uh, to know how selfless they were and how they've saved basically another family or another life. Uh, Jeff, what is the PKD Foundation of Canada, Toronto-wise and nationally, have coming up in the next few months? I know spring and summer are good times for fundraising events of various sorts. That's leading up, actually, already for our uh, signature fundraising campaign, which is the Walk for PKD. Uh, This is the greatest opportunity and the largest opportunity to connect with uh, the PKD community, both on a local uh, and national level. Uh, it is our bread and butter when it comes to fundraising. Uh, we've had it going for a decade, a decade plus here in Toronto. 
as well as now in Guelph and Van Cleek Hill, which is a, a small, uh, big-hearted community right between Ottawa and Montreal uh, that have been going for a number of years and, and going strong as well. Um, so that's, that's a big push for us. I mean, in, on top of March, uh, which is National Kidney Month and World Kidney Day falls, and that September is a, a big push for the PKD community um, and an opportunity for us to really shine, again, that brighter light on the need for PKD awareness, the need for PKD research, um, and the dire need for a treatment and a cure for this disease. Um, all of our local chapters uh, from across the spine country have uh, bi-monthly support group meetings, uh, which are an essential element to uh, educating oneself, advocating for oneself, um, and, and as I touched on earlier, that, that peer-to-peer connection. Um, so information on that um, from a chapter standpoint all can be found on endpkd.ca, which is our website. Uh, a ton of comprehensive information is uh, is up there from the newly diagnosed to those that are enduring end-stage renal failure, um, as well as an opportunity to connect with the local chapters as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on, both from a, a patient support and education standpoint, as well as fundraising opportunities. I love it, for sure. I've been on that website. It's a, it's a very good website. So endpkd.ca. Um, That's correct. Fabulous, fabulous website, ndpkd.ca. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I love volunteers, uh, Jeff, you, and Matan, and uh, great to meet all the Toronto chapter volunteers. Oh, here's the thought I was thinking of as you were saying that. Uh, same kind of thought I use sometimes on people when they're thinking of not going to church. Uh, is the same thing. Don't think of going to a PKD. Don't only think about going to a PKD meeting as far as what can I get out of it. Think of it this way. If you have PKD, you may need to be at that meeting to encourage and bless someone else. What you've gone through may encourage them or bless them. And if you're not there, they miss that encouragement and the blessing. So don't always just think, what is going to a chapter meeting going to help me or do for me? Think about how can I pour into other people's lives based on my experience with PKD and who might miss out on something I've learned if I get too lazy to go. 100%. I mean, that's... That's somewhat the mission that we encourage all PKD patients and medicinists to do on a local level is is just get the word out there and and wave that PKD flag because you never know uh, who you'll meet. Someone on the street, you know, I bump into people when I'm wearing a PKD T-shirt on the subway, um, and it sparks conversations, and then friendships are forged, um, support is provided, and and networking is made and. And that connection, that support can, can happen at any given time um, and can, can be a life changer for people, you know. And, and the connections that we have at our local support group meetings or our fundraising events or, or from, a, from a chapter coordinator and leadership standpoint, they all strengthen everyone else's efforts. And it's the only way um, with any, any advocacy campaign for any disease, be it arthritis, be it PKD, be it cancer, 
um, it, it takes all of those hands, you know, and, and all of the, the teamwork and partnership to make the, the best possible impact. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for being on this show today, Jeff. This has been really illuminating, uh, great for me. Uh, I love meeting the people. And uh, as even Matan suggested on Sunday, even people living with different chronic diseases uh, have such strong empathy for each other because they know the minute-by-minute, second-by-second effect of chronic diseases on people's lives. And um, so that's, that's right. I just had great it was, rapport. Uh, it was great to connect with you today. I mean, of course, I was I was disheartened to have missed uh, the Sunday meeting. I know you had people laughing and people crying and every emotion. And uh, having having you there and your testament to to positivity. Uh, and the impact that can have, I know, was a, was a life changer for those in attendance. So from us, you know, thank you for, for your willingness to, to share the word on your story and our story and, uh, and all the good work being done in the country. I want to end with one of my main points there, and that you and I can both agree with. Canada is an amazing country. It's a global blessing to live here. I've been in the hospital about 40 times, and the only thing I ever have paid for is to rent my TV which is an option, and then recently they started charging 25 bucks to have the use of a telephone, which is nothing. And so your mom, that many uh, implants, organ implants, all the time in the hospital, our neighbors to the south in the United States and other countries in the world, uh, sadly your mom would not be here. And so we live in a blessed country. Our healthcare system has flaws, but... I will rarely talk about them because it is absolutely, and that, that's the important. You know, is, is that we acknowledge um, the, the great country that we live in, the world class uh, care that we receive from our medical professionals, and, and balance that out with you know the improvements that can be made. Um, there's mm-hmm. a, the fact that Canada does not have a national uh, donor registration is something that's incomprehensible uh, in a first world country, um, but. Organizations like us and, and like-minded organizations, we just keep pushing. And, I mean, it'll take time, but it, the effort needs to be there to improve upon uh, what is already a working system here in Canada. Exactly. Thanks so much for being on the show today, uh, Jeff. I appreciate it so much. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, you're impacting not only people today, but their families and their lives for years to come. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Tom, and I look forward to being in touch again soon. Thank you, Tom.